Welcome back to another Facebook Live edition of Let Me Tell You. We are coming to you once again live from my parents' basement. It is a nice and rainy day here in the Seattle, Seattle metropolitan area where I am. It is snowing out in the Palouse. So shout out to all my Palouse pals, friends in the Palouse, who are battling the weather this, today. Boy, do we have a great show for you on this Friday, Friday afternoon. We are 15 days, I repeat, 15 days away from Cougar football. We are 15 days, that is less than, that is one day and two weeks away from Cougar football on the 7th of November. That's fantastic. So today, we're going to spend a good chunk of today, not a good chunk, but a decent amount, talking about our first opponent of the year, the Beavers. The Oregon State Beavers, who are in Corvallis currently. C.J. Ellaby and the NBA draft. Where is he going to go? Who's likely to take him? Mike Leach's struggles in the SEC. The ridiculous top 25 rankings. COVID policies for the Pac-12. And, of course, how the Cougar football team is looking before week one this season. Let's dive right into it. The Oregon State Beavers are coming off an incredible record last year. And I mean breathtakingly good for the Oregon State Beavers. They were five and seven. Wait, that doesn't sound like a fantastic record. Well, it, it's not for any other team, but the Oregon State Beavers are not your average college football team. They are, how to put this nicely, not good. They are improving. They were two and 10 the first year under their coach, Jonathan Smith, who was a former walk-on for the quarterbacks for the Beavers. So they're improving, they're getting better, which is all you can ask for. So they nearly beat us. What does that say about us? Last year we were disgustingly bad. We were horrific. So to provide some context about Oregon State and their situation, I'm going to talk about their quarterback, their coach. He's a former walk-on, Jonathan Smith. He walked on in the late 90s, played quarterback, four years there, really good had a stint as a head coach. Uh, he was a grad assistant as soon as he graduated. So he helped out on the team, went to Idaho, went to Montana. He got his big break in 2014 when he was on a Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson, the former coach of the Huskies, his staff at UW. He was the QB coach slash quality control coach. I never really understood that position because shouldn't all coaches be quality control, but you know, I don't run a football team, so I wouldn't know. So this is his first head coaching gig. Chris Peterson was always very, he had lots of, he praised him frequently and he knows how to coach a quarterback as we've seen as evidence with their previous quarterback from last year. And then Jake Browning, a name that probably sounds fairly familiar to Cougars. He was the undefeated Huskies starter for every year for from 2015 to 2018, I believe. He was undefeated. He beat Gardner. He beat Luke Falk three years. So that's all I need to know about him. He can coach. He can coach. Jonathan Smith can coach a quarterback. The difficulty is you have to actually get, recruit a quarterback to Oregon State. And currently, they don't have a quarterback with much experience under their belts. Ha. Huh. That sounds familiar. Well, yes, that is our exact situation. We don't have a quarterback with experience. But to tie this back together, Johnson Smith is actually one of those up-and-coming young coaches that we all see. He gives the college vibe of Sean McVay, King, Cliff Kingsbury. But he's, he seems more to me, if we're sticking with college football, more of a Lincoln Riley kind of feel. He runs a spread offense, which is similar to what Lincoln Riley does. The spread offense was considered a gimmick, a little, a tamer version of the air raid, let's say. Three wide receivers out, a running back, you use it. But it's not, it's become more popular in the NFL. For example, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, the half a billion dollar man, they run the spread offense, and I would say fairly successfully, if we were being honest. He does a great job. 
Then also we have another Pac-12 player, Jared Goff, who plays for the Rams, the former number one overall pick. Not making Berkeley proud when he asked, where does the sun rise, east or west? Doesn't really know. So let's ignore that folly by him. But they're both succeeding in the spread offense, and the spread offense is coming back into style. It's, it's the it offensive style, how you want your coach. You want your coach to be able to coach in the spread. You want a quarterback who's played in the spread. So what happened last time we played the, Be- the Beavers of Oregon State? The Corvallis Beavers, if you will. Well, it was the prediction game. For those of you wondering what the prediction game is, well, it's very simple. We were five and six, needing a win to be bowl eligible for the fifth straight time under Mike Leach. Max Borgie said, we're going to go. The Beavers are going to come into Pullman, and we're going to beat them. We beat them 54-23 to on a last-second touchdown run by Max Borgie. And by last second, I do mean the literal last second. There is debate whether he got in the end zone with two seconds or one second to go. So we won. That's right. It was a late-stage comeback by the semi-decent, okay, whatever, quarterback, Anthony Gordon. But it was a great game all around for the Cougars. And I think the Beavers is a great matchup for us week one. I'll get into more about why it's a great matchup after this. But there were some other things that were quite as important during this game. It was supposed to be Tyler Holinsky's senior night start on the Palouse. Tyler Holinsky, a former quarterback for the Cougars, who took his life in eighteen in 2018. Would have been a senior night. The Cougars honored him. His family came out. Ryan Holinsky was there. Kelly, Mark, and... Sorry, I'm forgetting the mother's name off the top of my head. Uh, if Ryan Holinsky's name sounds familiar to you, he's the quarterback. He's the backup quarterback, was a starter last year inside South Carolina in the SEC. So that was a very impactful moment for many Cougar fans who were in the stadium. I was watching on my couch at home because it was over Thanksgiving break. I had turned off the game, went out to dinner, come back, and I had, in the car we were down, I don't know, 20. Like, oh, it's not going to be good. Turned on the game when I came back. What, we're, we're a touchdown behind? How did this happen? And I watched Borgie just pound his way in the end, just right up the middle. Borgie showing you why he is the best player in the Pac-12. But don't let Borgie's performance overshadow Anthony Gordon's performance. Whew, that man can ball. It's a shame the Seahawks did not keep him on the practice squad. He threw six touchdowns which broke Jared Goff's record for touchdowns in a season for the Pac-12. And also, at the same time, he broke Minshew's. Oh, no, just Jared Goff's record in total. And also, he broke Minshew's record in the Pac-12 for passing a single season. So an an effective night, I would say, for Gordon, which is not something I would say on most occasions for Gordon. He was pretty ineffective. He was a good quarterback, considering he played in the air raid. But if you take him out of the air raid, he's not as good as what we saw. So I think Oregon State is honestly fairly similar to the Cougars. What? How do you, what do you mean? Well, I think this is fairly, they're fairly similar in, at least right now. We both have up-and-coming head coaches. One of them is Nick Rolovich coming from Hawaii, running a, run-and-shoot offense, which is slightly similar to the spread, and Jonathan Smith, up-and-coming coach, who should be good at his alma mater, running the spread. So two similar-ish offensive styles. We were both. We both gave up 30 points a game. So plus points a game, we gave up 37, which is horrific. They will just... Ah, that just upset me. Every time you saw the Cougar defense on the field, you will. This doesn't look good, guys. We might lose this one. But luckily, the Cougar defense did step up in this game. They give up 32, so theirs is better. They have a better defense. I'm hoping, based on everything I've heard about this defense, about Jake Dickard's ability to improve a defense first year, that we should drop to at least – 
33 to 34 points a game. I, I want us to drop to 28 or to 25 would be ideal. I don't see that happening this second, but I would love to be wrong. Please prove me wrong. We I'm sorry. I just messed that up completely. I'm sorry. That was how many points we we scored a game. We scored about we scored roughly the same points. Yeah, so we're both 30 points a game offenses, so effective offenses. Um, ours will likely fall back to 33 and 34 because we don't have the air right and won't be throwing the ball as much. It'll be a more balanced and dynamic offense, if you will. So without – we have a new quarterback. They have a new quarterback. Okay, so the defense, which is what is atrocious. We were 93rd last year, with, and they were 106. So when you preach defense, as much as the Cougars seem to preach defense to a degree, they're always an offensive team, but they did preach defense. Like, we're going to have a solid defense. You don't ever have to worry about us. 31 points a game is not good defenses. It's not a good defense. It's not an average defense. It's not a bad defense. It's downright bottom of the league. Trailer, not... Trash, abysmal, horrific, out of this world, bad, out of this world. But moving on. And the defense, just like us, see, we're very similar. We're viewed also as the redheaded stepchild to UW. They are viewed as the secondary child to University of Nike, or as other people might more know it. As the University of Oregon, we get the second-rate three-star, four-star, three-star, two-star recruits. Oregon and UW get the five- and four-star recruits. We get the knockoff, the hand-me-down players who, by the way, are generally playing better than theirs, but that's just fact. Uh, the Beavers did not lose any defensive players to the draft. They only lost an offensive lineman. Like, they lost an offensive lineman and a wide receiver and a quarterback, which is exactly who we lost. So there's a lot of similarities. And there's this, they have an abysmal defense that is believed to improve under another year with the same schemes and coordinators. So players are another year mature, more experienced in college. They're freshman players they had last year who might have recruited should contribute more, just like ours. Some big freshman recruits will play instantly. So it's very similar. But there is one thing that stood out to me every time I watched the Beaver game. I didn't watch a ton of OSU Beavers. I'm going to be real with you. They were not on my rotation. My rotation for Pac-12 games might have been WSU. Basically, WSU, and that was it. Occasionally, I, I didn't have a stable of games I'd watch. I'd watch WSU, UW, Oregon, UCLA, but no. Oregon State was generally not on my radar. But when I did watch the highlights, there is one player – who stood out to me inherently. He was just better than everyone else. And I'm not a talent evaluator. I don't ever claim to be. I'm not going to tell you, oh, he's super, he succeeds really well when he comes out of his three-point stance. And then he, he really only plays well against quarter three runs. Don't even know if that's a thing. Well, I don't know that. Don't ever claim to. Hamil Carr Rashad Jr., this man, oh, is amazing. If, you're a, if you are a fan of an NFL team, you want your team to draft this outside, back, outside linebacker. He is the most dominant force I've seen on a defensive end since Khalil Mack. Better than Chase Young, better than Joey Bosa in college. Not, not saying he'll be this good in the NFL. I think he will be. This is the earliest I've gone out on a limb on a player this in the season. This man dominates I mean he demands double coverage on the line triple coverage he set the OSU Oregon State University record for sacks with 14 so more than a sack a game oh by the way he led the nation and set an OSU record with tackles for a loss with 22 and a half 
which is a lot considering he's not on the defensive line rushing the passer every single play, which is sacks are even more incredible because they have players who should be getting that many sacks. So just like us, they have a dominant, even more dominant than Jihad Woods. And I mean, I don't, I think Jihad Woods is the best pound for pound linebacker in the Pac-12. I think if you want to give an award for defensive player of the year, you give it to Hamill Rashad Jr. And then you give it to Jihad Woods from Cougars. Those, I truly believe, are the top two defensive players in the Pac-12. Don't give me this U-Dub, DBU. Oh, great. No, you're not DBU. Utah produces more quality quarterbacks than Utah than you do. You think you do. You, you kicked Marcus Peters off your team, so you can't count him. You have Buddha Baker, who's a safety. Sidney King, who is out of the league. So you're not DBU. We're not DBU. We don't claim to be DBU. Our best DB is Marcus Trufant, who is in our Hall of Fame and pretty good for the Seahawks. But we don't claim to be. He is back to Hamill Richard Jr. This man is so good. He's on everyone's, and I mean everyone's projection for an All-American list. He, he's on the Athletics, Sports Illustrated, the actual All-American list. He is unbelievable. Watch out for Mr. Ham Mill Rashard Jr. He will completely wreck your team. Even if you have a good, he played against some quality offensive linemen in the Pac-12, and he still put up those numbers. Andre Dillard, well, two years ago, but he played against Andre Dillard. Let's think, Senny, Senilli, Penawilli from Oregon. I mean, the list goes on. The Pac-12 has good offensive linemen, and he played against them, and he dominated. So if anyone is going to stop Max Borgie in the Pac-12, it's this guy. The Khalil Mack in Corvallis. That's him, baby. Watch out for him. Because if we can stop him, we can stop anyone. Because he feels like a Bobby, Wa- Bobby Wagner kind of player to me. You don't mess with him. You game plan specifically for him, and then you see what happens. So just like us, we lost our quarterback. But... They lost their quarterback, whose numbers aren't as godly as Minshew's or Gordon's were, but they were really, really good. Jake Lofton, who now plays for the Jaguars, is backing up, guess who? Gardner Minshew, who sadly will probably be starting over Gardner soon because, well, Jacksonville's dysfunctional dysfunctional organization, I believe, not saying it's a fact, just my opinion. Because they have Gardner, and he could be a really, really good quarterback for them. We saw that week one. When his offensive line blocked for him, when his wide receivers caught for him, to quote Miss Brady, Giselle, I believe she was the one who said this, do you want my husband to throw the ball and catch the ball at the same time? Well, Gardner Minshew can't do that. You need wide receivers, and you need running backs, which they, uh, they, don't, have a, they don't have a real true number one running back, and an offensive line who will actually block for the Mississippi mustache. And because of that, his numbers don't look as great. And sadly, I think Jake Lufton might take over for him. But Jake Lufton, if if he takes over, you should root for him. He's a great story. Tons of connections to Washington. He's from Marysville, Washington. He signed with the Vandals down the road, just eight miles across the border. Transferred to OSU. He was okay after his redshirt year. He then broke out, had an historically good year. 28 touchdowns, three interceptions. So great touchdown to interception ratio. Way better than Anthony Gordon's 48 to 16. I would have taken 28 to three any day of the year. And he was actually my favorite quarterback in this year's draft class because of his, the weirdest thing, the most interesting thing about him. He is, drum roll please, can't really do a drum, good drum roll when we're holding the mic, so that doesn't work. He is six foot seven. That is right. You have C.J. Ellaby on the football field. His ties, the Pullman, are everywhere. So you want to root for him? Root for him. 
But now let's talk about C.J. Ellaby and some potential teams that could draft him on the 18th of November in this year's virtual NBA draft. Sorry, I should have sound effects next week for transitions. On my podcast, let me tell you. Want to find out with my interview with CJ? Just search up Let Me Tell You, colon, Washington State University or WSU. You will find it. I talked to the man, CJ Elby. He opened up why he left WSU. His process of going to WSU. If you want to hear more, check out the interview. It's a great one. So, CJ Elby played primarily shooting guard his first year, his only year under Ernie Kent. But this year, he played, shoot, he played small forward with Kyle Smith. He envisions himself playing more of a shooting guard in the NBA. I see that too. I, he's a great slasher. He could play an effective power. He could play an effective, an effective small forward. But sadly, those small forward isn't as, as you would say, sexy. He doesn't have as much appeal to players as shooting guard and point guard does because you have the ball 24-7. The offense funnels through you. And I think because he views himself as a shooting guard, some of his flaws are accentuated. Accentuated. He's a great slasher, but his shot and his shooting is not as effective as you would like. Now, I think because he has a decent shooting percentage, free throw percentage, that helps him translate. So you know he's a good shooting form. He can make shots. It translates well into helping him develop a three-point shot. I think he could develop into a much better shooter. But him saying he's a shooting guard doesn't necessarily help his case. But in addition to the lack of shooting, if he had one good postseason, if he had, had a, if he had been able to keep playing in the Pac-12, tournament and we would have probably won the thing just that's probably a homer take or a not really a realistic take but I truly believe we had a lot of good things working for us our seven foot two center had started to come around so that had happened it might have vaulted him into the draft we've seen this time and time again for example the most powerful example I think in recent years would be Tyus Jones the crafty Minnesota point guard from Duke that was confusing he's from Minnesota he played at Duke. He was a freshman. He was not supposed to be a one-and-done. No. But he had an outstanding tournament run, led Duke to the national championship in 2015, and then was drafted in the first round by his hometown team, the Timberwolves. Now, he's been really good. He never developed into a starter in the NBA, but he's one of the top backup point guards, and he's being paid amazingly. He's had a great career. So the tournament really hurt CJ's chances. But I think for CJ especially to succeed in the NBA, he needs to be drafted by a certain team to develop him. There are players who are really good and can just play right off the bat. There's LeBron James, Kyrie, Donovan Mitchell. It doesn't matter where they play. They'll succeed. But I have three examples of teams that if they drafted him would fit perfectly, I believe. The Spurs, obviously, they're known for developing their players. I have some examples. Tony, Patty Mills from St. He's the Australian point guard. He was on the Raptors. No, he was on the Raptors. I'm thinking of Danny Green, the other Spurs point guard who left. Patty Mills is a second-round pick by the Blazers. He really didn't show a ton of promise heading into his, his first two years in the league. Then he got traded to San Antonio and just blossomed, became a great on-off-the-bench scorer. Really fantastic. Oh. How could I forget about the trio in San Antonio? Manu Ginobili, a second-round pick from Argentina. Yes, Argentina. He took a while to develop. Popovich did a great job bringing him up. He's a Hall of Fame guard now. Tony Parker, but another international player in the first round, more of a draft, drafted stash kind of player. Took a while to blossom. Not a while, but you never know with international players because they're the international basketball game is so drastically different than the United States basketball game. Not in a bad way or a good way. They're just different. They have different requirements, different skill levels. And even skill levels, different play styles. And then a more modern take more recently 
is DeJounte Murray. For those Seattle and Washington sports fans, he's going to sound really familiar. A star local kid from Rainier Beach High School. He played a single year at UW. He was a starter. Then he was. Then he went to San Antonio with the 25th pick, I want to say, 24th pick. He was off and on the bench his first year, not really playing a ton of minutes, up and down between the, which was the D League at the time, now the G League. Popovich put some more faith into him his second year. He became a starter. Didn't put up a ton of points, but he is an all-defensive team player. So you can't complain about that. Another great example for a team that would really help CJ Ellaby succeed in an NBA career, set him up for success from the beginning, would be the Heat. The Heat love to build from within. The classic example of this is Eric Spolstra. When he was younger, he was a video editor, video coordinator for the Heat, and then he became their head coach. He led them to the finals this year, and the Heat really can develop. We can go back years and years, but honestly, I think some of the more powerful examples are just players who blossomed this year. Duncan Robinson from Michigan took a massive leap from his rookie year to his sophomore year. He put up 16, 13 points a game, which is not a ton, but his shooting was outstanding. His true shooting percentage was just amazing. 50%, which is one out of every two shots is going to go in, which you'll take. His three-point barrage was 42%, which is one of the top in the league. Plus, he was just nasty around the hoop, mid-range. He shot 62% for the field, which is fantastic. You want that from your point guard. Kendrick Nunn, an undrafted guard from Oakland, which this is going to sound shocking to you from people who know who know basketball. Not Oakland, the city, but Oakland, the college, and I believe Illinois. The Warriors passed on him. He wasn't, they had too many guards. They were a guard-heavy team two years ago. The Heat picked him up. He was a starter in the regular season. And keep in mind, this is a Heat team, a Heat team who were the fifth seed, so not amazing, but they did make it all the way to the finals. He kind of lost, the team kind of lost faith, with it, faith in him during the playoffs. So he kind of fell out of the rotation. But honestly, he was pretty good. And then Tyler Hero, one of the most well-known, influential, if you will, players from the bubble who really made his name. He was a lottery pick from Kentucky who was not this good in Kentucky. He truly wasn't. He's actually an interesting story. So he's from Wisconsin. Go Badgers. He was committed to play at Wisconsin. So local five-star kid, fantastic. Got to bring back the prom- the name, the prominence back to the Badger name. He's going to help return them to glory, just like Frank Kaminsky did. Well, John Calipari said, no, you're coming to Kentucky. And John John Calipari offered you a scholarship, you come running. And he actually received some death threats from that by angry Wisconsin fans. And look, he needed to be drafted to this team because he would not have been this good. Like I said, some players are good. If they're drafted by anyone, if he was picked by Detroit or Indiana, would not have been this good. But some players will be that good. LeBron, Kyrie, Akeem Olajuwon, Michael, they're all just good. And then lastly, I think, honestly, a sneaky, sneaky good team to, to draft him would honestly be the Golden State Warriors. I think CJ would fit well there. Well, don't they have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? They do, but let's be real. Steph Curry is 35, 32, almost 33. Clay's 29. He would sit behind Clay, the greatest WSU basketball player ever, I think. I feel like that's safe to say, at least in the modern era. He would eventually probably take over the wing position, probably if we're being if Clay doesn't leave, probably up the three or the four, because he can play it. Uh, they the Warriors are known for developing players. For example, Draymond Green was an undersized angry forward from Michigan. Now it's a defensive player. Steve Kerr elevated Steph Curry into MVP form. Everyone says, oh, Steph Curry has been great from the beginning. No, no, he hasn't. He's a really, really good player. One of the best shooters of all time. But he was not this good when he started in the league. He was good. 18 points to the max. You bring in Steve Kerr, 30. 
he brought Sean Livingston's career back from the dead. And I mean back from the dead. I truly mean back from the dead. He had that gruesome knee injury. Didn't think he'd be able to play again. And he still won multiple championships. And then also Leandro Barbosa, the Brazilian blur. Great player. Great off the bench. Steve Kerr made him work. I think CJ would excel with the Warriors. Now, in the NBA draft, trade picks are traded so frequently. You don't know what you're going to get. They fluctuate in and out and out. And I think if CJ gets drafted, which I hope he gets drafted, I truly do. I'm I'm a Cougar. For, I'm a Cougar, but I'm going to tell you like it is, which is a little cliche. First, I haven't seen the evidence of him getting drafted. I think he should because at least in the second round, it's a complete just guess. You're throwing darts against the board, hoping they stick. Not that many players make it from the second round. If he gets picked, I think it'll be in the back half of the second round with picks 45 and 60. Some players who, some teams who are kind of in need of point guard, shooting guard help would be the Warriors at 48 and 51, but they might not even have those picks because Right now, it's looking like they're going to package all their other picks with the second pick to just trade for something else because they don't need the second overall pick. They're trying to contend right away, contend again, because they were they really weren't though a bad team last year. They just had injuries, so they go back to the. They're one of the favorites to win the championship now, so they don't really want a rookie right away. Maybe the Thunder replace Chris Paul at fifty three or the Hornets, but let's be real: if he gets drafted by the Thunder or the Hornets, those aren't going to be the best long term situations for him. They'll hurt his career more than they'll help it. I read this fantastic story about Trayvon Duval, the Duke point guard who was told he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. He was told, oh, you're going to be a lock for the first round. This is easy. I've never seen a bigger lock. He went undrafted. He's struggling to play in the NBA. So we don't want that to happen to CJ. So what you, he needs to be picked up by a good team. But let's go to... Montlake, the Huskies. Let's talk about their basketball players who are going to get drafted. The two, I want to read this quote to you. Jaden McDaniels was the biggest, Jaden McDaniels was the biggest disappointment or the biggest disappointment in the country. That is by one of my favorite podcasters on the CBS, the CBS Ion College Basketball. Oh, I can't remember his name. This is super disappointing. Jaden McDaniels was supposed to be a lock for the lottery. Top five pick. Oh, he looked like Kevin Durant, man. He was going to be so good. A tall, lanky forward who could shoot. Oh, he's so good. Oh, my God. But he sucked. Putting it bluntly, he sucked. UW sucked. He's not going to get drafted. He might fall. No, he's going to get drafted. Sorry. He is not a lock for the lottery. He's not a lock for the top 10, top 15. He's a late first-round pick at best, which is still great money. But not what he was expecting going into college. And then we have Isaiah Stewart, the center who doesn't look like he should be playing basketball. It looks like he should be powerlifting and just, I don't know, carrying around tons of bricks. That's a weird metaphor, but he just doesn't scream basketball player. He just looks like he's just a big dude who bodies everyone, which worked out. He got a scholarship to college. I won't fault him for that. But look, the Cougars and Huskies are not in an ideal situation. Hopefully it improves, but Oregon and OSU don't have any locks for the first round or even second round. So it looks like the whole Pacific Northwest is kind of slacking off this year. But now that it's related to the draft, I want to talk about the draft as a whole because I find the NBA draft fascinating. Most drafts because it's a lottery pick. It's a lottery. You don't know who's going to be good. You have no way of knowing. Obviously, there are a few players who are considered to be Good players, players who are deemed worthy of being the first overall pick or the top five. But this year, the, long, the strongest and most powerful storyline is there's not a clear number one overall, clear number one overall pick for this year. It's likely going to be LaMelo Ball from Australia, which he's not really from Australia. If you know the Ball story, he's from Chino Hills. Southern California. Then there's Obi Toppin from Dayton, the super old 22-year-old sophomore. I don't know how he's a sophomore at 22, but that's how it is. 
Uh, Anthony Edwards, the top point guard in the country, went to just top guard. I'm sorry, went to Georgia. Is every NBA franchise's dream for a point guard, but just did not win in Georgia, and that raises some red flags because if you're going to be the number one overall pick, you should probably dominate in college basketball. Just as a minimum, domination does not mean you're going to be good in the NBA. For example, Jimmer Fredette dominated in BYU, didn't do anything in the NBA. Now, let's talk about LaMelo Ball. I think he will be the first overall pick because he has the highest ceiling. So with the, in the NBA draft, you draft for who has the highest ceiling. If you hit on that player, you're golden. You don't go for the safe pick as number one overall. I'm not a fan of that. You're going to risk it. You got to go all in. If he works out, everything clicks for LaMelo. He is a perennial all-star elite guard. I don't see that clicking. I think he is, which this is fine, a decent starting point guard. He'll be in the league 10, 12 years. Not necessarily on the same team, probably three or four teams. But I honestly don't know what Minnesota is going to do because they have D'Angelo Russell and who plays both point guard and shooting guard, which is what LaMelo plays. So maybe they force LaMelo to play point guard and give D'Angelo shooting guard responsibilities because LaMelo's a gifted passer. I mean, his passing is unbelievable. He's got great court vision. He can see you standing on the wing when he's at the basket. He's great. But his shooting is just erratic and not worth it. So if you take LaMelo, be prepared for the circus that comes along with it. Now, I listed off those players in the beginning of the show. Not the beginning, just now. Who are, who are the top consensus players? But they're actually not my favorite players heading into the draft. And I think here are some players that you should keep an eye on for the future. I think in the next five years after this draft, when we look back at it and say, huh, how did this guy fall to here? Or how was he picked here? I think it's going to be honestly, I think it's Tyree, I think it's Sadiq Bey, a sub 100 player coming out into college. So that means he was not a top 100 recruit from Villanova, which is shocking for Villanova. He was the lowest ranked recruit coming into the 2018 class, but he was their best player by far. That was the class with Jalen Quidali, the Jelly Fam Arizona transfer kind of co-op. Uh, why am I blanking on the word? Um, kerfluffle. I don't know. Situation was super strange. No playing time. That was a whole convoluted transferring. So Sadiq Bey, the forward for Villanova is going to be great because he has good size to play in the NBA and he's an effective shooter. There's also Tyrese Halliburton. I'm big on guards, if you haven't noticed. I like guards. They're fun to watch. And they're, I don't know, they're easier to to break down or analyze because Let's be honest, I don't really know. I mean, they're just more interesting and their production's easier to, to see. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is a quick guard from Iowa State. Iowa State has been really good at just producing quality NBA players. Another one is Horace Tully. I can't say his name. He was on the Lakers. He won a championship. Iowa State just produces good players. Just steady plug-and-play players, which is kind of cliche, but they're good. He is, and I think he'll be an elite shooter in the NBA because of his free throw percentage is really high. He has a good shooting form. And then his shooting numbers are elite for college. I think he'll be even better in the NBA. Then there is Malachi Flynn. Oh, what could have been with Malachi Flynn? Malachi Flynn, CJ Ellaby, Robo Franks. Oh, me, oh, my. That would have been so clean for the Cougs. We would have had an elite team. We probably would have gone to the tournament. But remember, if he had still been there, he probably would have still had Ernie Kent patrol on the sidelines, and you could kiss goodbye to Noah Williams, possibly DJ Rodman, and this elite recruiting class. So I, I like Malachi Flynn. I'll root for him. He's a local kid. He's really fun to watch. He was part of that. He was the star on the San Diego team this year who was going to be a first seed in the NCAA tournament. They were electric. They, were, they had 30 wins. Oh. He's amazing. And then obviously CJ Ellaby, but I've talked a ton about him. I think everyone knows his flaws and strengths. So we've done basketball. Let's get into football, baby. The real moneymaker of the team. So 
there was a scrimmage yesterday, but because I've not been approved for my media pass yet, or all of the articles talking about the scrimmage are under paywalls for the Coug fan, the 24-7 website, I don't have access to it yet. So I'm going to talk about last week's scrimmage. It's a little dated, I know, but it is what it is. There are a few players that stood out, but a few of my takeaways were that none of the QBs really separated themselves from the pack. Yes, Rolovich said that Cameron Cooper stood out as more of it. When I heard the answer, it felt more, uh, I would say Cameron Cooper, if I had to pick a player who stood out. But it wasn't a, yes, Cameron Cooper's our quarterback. So the big story is the quarterback battle between Jalen DeLora, Gunnar Cruz, and Cameron Cooper. Jaden Jaden and Cameron Cooper both threw a touchdown. Cooper threw for more yards, but he had an interception. So they had almost identical games. I don't know. They both were fine. I'd say they, the interception canceled out the yards that Jalen Delora didn't put up. So they're both 1A and 1B. And then there's Gunnar Cruz, who is catching up. He's not out. And honestly, I don't think we're going to know about the QB until a week away, three days away, or even game time. And honestly, I'm okay with that. As long as we have a quarterback who is good to go at 615. Why 615? Because that's when the Cougars have to take their COVID tests. Now, but Cougars should expect to see Joey Hobart skyrocket up that Washington State depth chart, baby. This man is going to be so good. Electric for us. He should be a starter. I'm. I'm ringing that Joey Herbert Bell, Hobart Bell. This man, bona fide starter. I spent about 10 minutes talking about him last week. I could do another 10 minutes talking about the Southern California kid's ability to play. And he backed it up. He had over 100 yards and got both touchdowns from the QB. Honestly, he might be the best receiver we have. And we have a six five, we have a big traditional wide receiver. I will take that. He's not massive. Uh, CJ Sandals for next year's recruiting class is a big wide receiver. Joey Hobart is just a solid, solid wide receiver who will be good for us for many years. I don't know who the greatest guards in Boston Celtics history are, but you should ask my friend Ian. He knows a lot about the Celtics. I mean a lot. Then just for those of you wondering about Max Borgie, he looks like a real running back, meaning he will just be able to run the ball 20, 15 to 25 times a game. He had 70 yards on five carries. And he isn't just a receiver who's good at running the ball. He can actually just be a lead back, a bell cow, if you will. He has 70 yards on five carries, so he's great. But even better, we had, we have a Marshawn Lynch baby on the Palouse. The Palouse has a Marshawn Lynch. Jovensley Brazil, I, Basil, I don't know how to say his name. I just added him to this. I will learn how to say his name. He had 93 yards and five carries. He just feasted on our D-line, which is sadly supposed to be our strength. And Jake Dickert said their goal was to minimize running backs, take the running back out of the picture and make the defense one-dimensional. But that didn't happen. Hopefully, it was because of the restrictions. You know, you can't hit a quarterback. You can't do in practice. Is a scrimmage. I don't know. But talking about the D-line, According to the stat sheet, they had 20 sacks, which seems unbelievable. I mean, wow. But two players had three sacks. Our quarterbacks were getting sacks. I I don't know if this is just because you can't really hit a quarterback in scrimmage or it's harder. I I really don't know. But if we got a fourth of that production, I'd be happy with five sacks. Five sacks a game. I mean, five sacks would be fantastic. That'd be the greatest defense in WSU history and in NCAA history for sacks. I mean, that'd be amazing. So let's talk about what it takes, the logistics of playing a football game during a global pandemic. The Pac-12 has implemented some roster requirements. So in order for a team to play, they must have 53 scholarship players that have to include seven offensive linemen, one quarterback, four defensive linemen, Each school will be required to present a complete roster before the season, detailing players' position for each player. So obviously, I would assume that's so you can't change, oh, yeah, that offensive lineman's our quarterback. No, he wasn't a quarterback before, so you can't just make him one now. So if the school is unable to meet those requirements, 
if the school has the option to continue playing if they choose to, if the school is unable to meet those numbers and decides not to play, so the teams have to decide. I think it will either be rescheduled or declared a no contest by Larry Scott. I see no problem meeting those requirements. We have a bunch of offensive linemen and three scholarship QBs, so that shouldn't be too hard. In addition to the the, the roster requirements, the conference announced that there are five other COVID-related requirements. So this game will be will be declared no contest or postponed if they're unable if there's a positive case and the team can't isolate them. And this can be either within the team or the athletic department. If you don't follow testing guidelines, <coughs> Tennessee Titans, Tennessee Titans, <coughs> that's a rumor. The Tennessee Titans aren't necessarily the best at their practice facilities are always being shut down. Transmission rate within the community or campus are deemed unsafe by local public officials. Well, good job, Cougs. You know, Cougs help Cougs. We should just stay in our houses and help. Just, just be smart, guys. We don't want our numbers to spike. We just want to play football. Uh, if you can't do contact tracing with consistent, consistently with your government requirements, then, or there's just a, a surge in cases, it will be declared. And I received all of this information from the Coug Center website. So look, we can play football. Guys, just be smart, follow the rules, and Cougs help Cougs. Let's keep the transmission numbers back. Let's keep them down so I can go back to Pullman so we can have football. Let's just do this, guys. Come on. All for one and one for all. And also, by the way, if, you're, if you think you can go to Pullman to tailgate, you still can't. Sorry, global pandemic. So I've spent the same amount of time as I have in home as I have in Pullman. So no tailgating. It's okay, guys. Global pandemic. Let's think about this. Now, the Big Ten football is coming back. So let's talk about the ratings ranking system this week in this week's edition of the useless AP Top 25 rankings. So right now, there are six teams, I believe. We have Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, seven teams who are in the top 25 who have yet to play a game. So we have Ohio State, which is not a top five team, but they are listed as a top five team. They have not taken a step. There is no reason to think they're a top 25 team. You can't put them in there. Right now, University of Massachusetts or Central Arkansas is more qualified to be in the top 25 than any of the teams I've listed off because they've played a game and they've won a game. So Penn State, not number nine. Oregon is certainly not 13. Neither is Wisconsin. And then there are a couple other Big Ten teams that are in there. But USC at 24? No, that's a joke. USC is not good at football. They're really good at recruiting players who then suck at football. But no, they're not good at football. Sorry to burst your bubble. I don't think USC can play. Oof, they're bad. Talking about bad, let's get into Mike Leach. Oh, Mikey, Mikey, Mike. Michael Leach, what happened to you? Man, you had a golden ticket here in Pullman. You could do no wrong, except when it came to the Apple Cup. But you had to go and go to the SEC. You got a big contract boost. I get that. Want to challenge yourself in the SEC? Totally understand. But in the SEC, if you don't do well, you're gone. They don't care. They truly do not care about your legacy, what you're going to do. They don't care in the SEC. They have million-dollar boosters. So if I were to give good old Leach the one-and-three coach for your Mississippi State Bulldogs, in order to give him a big, fat F plus. Yeah, he failed. Mike Leach failed. Maybe a D if I'm feeling lucky. A D plus. There you go. Want to know why you're getting a D now? Because you beat LSU when they were good. Who's not even ranked anymore? LSU's not even good. And this was their first week. They were still a good team. Mike Leach is making $5 million a year, which is the 16th most in the country. And Nick Rolovich is 55th highest paid. So you play for the biggest and most important conference in the country, the Southeast Conference, and you're not good. You're truly not good. You're not a good coach, and you have a lot of – I'm just not a fan of him. 
I, I didn't follow WSU football probably before I applied to the school in 2018. So I don't know about his past, but I was reading articles about it here. And there's always constant mention of him not liking players, not getting along with them. And then this week it just continued. I give him two more years after this. If this trend continues, he's gone. So there's an article that kept saying his first few years he was bad at WSU, then he turned around. Guess what? It's not going to happen in Starksville. They don't care. So he's always trying to purge the team of the malcontents, if you will. He had to purge the, team, the Mississippi State team of the malcontents. He suspended their best player for last week's game. He, multiple players have transferred now. Honestly, I, I don't know. Maybe he's not that great of a team, of, of a coach. I truly don't know anymore because – you hear stories of people not really getting along, but then there are tons of stories of people getting along. So I don't really know what to think about that. Look, Mike, you just have to do better when you play in the SEC. You truly do. All right, before I wrap up this show, I'm going to give you some side notes for what's interesting about two more stories that are just interesting, not necessarily the most important. Well, actually, one's not super important. One is LSU has self-imposed a punishment for themselves after Odell Beckham Jr., a wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns and LSU, former player at LSU, they've self-imposed a ban, reducing their scholarship for next year by eight because Odell was caught handing out money to players on the sideline of the national championship, who were still in college, by the way. So that's technically impermissible benefits in breaking the NCAA rules. Look, Odell doesn't care. Odell's banned from the facilities for two years. Good job. Showing us that you do care about your, you have some integrity, LSU. Way to go. Actually, good job, though. And then, by the way, next week, we will dive a deeper into the women's basketball season. I didn't forget about them. Cami Etheridge's team is looking to improve in their nine-win campaign last year. Hopefully, they can improve. They did lose the all-time leading scorer in basketball history at WSU in Bobby Buckets, Bobby Buckets and Shalel Molina, their electric point guard, whose two sisters are still on the roster. So... Both of them are playing Shalom Shalel Shalel Molina and Cheryl and and Bobby Buckets are both playing professionally overseas in Europe. So hopefully the team can improve. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. This is another episode of Let Me Tell You. If you want to hear my podcast with my interviews with some great people, it's Let Me Tell You. Anywhere podcasts are found. L-E-T space M-E-T-E-L-L space U. Y-O-U colon W-S-U or Washington State University. That's it, folks. Have a good day and go Cougs.